0: Write that, write that down for me, Saito. Write that down for
1: me, Saito. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Write That Down. I'm Justin Nipper. I'm an editor over at Fight Game Media. I'm a staff writer over at f 4 WrestlingObserver.com. I am back. With everyone's favorite historian broadcast journalist pro wrestling author Mr. Fumi Saito we're back with what may be considered a long overdue episode on the history of the funk family the funk brothers dory funk jr and terry funk so last week we did this kind of i call it a primer episode on nwa in japan nwa's perception Influence in Japan How fans perceived not only the NWA, the organization, but the NWA champions of the time Getting to know all of that, getting familiar with that Really will help illuminate a lot of the points we talked about in today's episode So let me just give you a quick rundown on some of what we talked about on today's episode We started out talking about Dory Funk Jr., when he was NWA champion after he defeated Gene Kaniski in 1969. We talked about, in Japan, Dory Funk Jr.'s kind of relationship, I suppose, to Tiger Mask, or the Tiger Mask character, and his appearances in the comics, and how that kind of built his mythos with the fan base at the time. Uh, We talked about the passing of Dory Funk Sr., who would often travel with the Funks. Terry and Dory to help out and second them at ringside Um, we talked quite a bit about when Dory Funk Jr. became a regular with All Japan after he dropped the NWA World Heavyweight title and he became this first I guess prototype version of the ex-world champion working regularly for a Japanese company which meant a lot especially back then we also talked about when Terry Funk began appearing with All Japan and his contrast with his brother during that time, we talked about those two as a tag team as well. When they started doing summer action series, we talked on when Terry Funk retired forever and ever in 1983, which is also when he chose Terry Cordy to kind of take over for him in All Japan. This one. Terry Gordy debuted with All Japan lots of great stuff about the funks uh, versus the Sheik and Abdul the Butcher Fumi tells his great story about getting chased as a junior high school student by the Sheik and Abby that's always fun to listen to we spoke about when Terry came back to wrestling in 1990 and joined Atsushi Onitsis FMW and kind of changed his not only his look but his whole wrestling style We talked about him and ECW, his severe effect on ECW and influence on the company. Um, We spoke about his time in Hollywood during the mid-80s, and we spoke a bit about Hulk Hogan and how those two got on during this time. And we even spoke about how Funk was the one who helped Hogan get the Thunderlips part in Rocky III. Uh, don't worry, we do talk about the Terry Funk album, infamous album that he made in Japan back in the 80s, his time again in ECW, WWF, Chainsaw Charlie, his late run WCW, we talk about his uh, late 80s run WCW too, when he was doing commentary, and he had the Flair program, uh, talked on the Funk, uh, Funkin' Dojo and Funkin' Conservatory that Dory Funk launched in the 90s too, which was early times, it was kind of like a WWF Farm League uh, kind of developmental system, sort of, before WWE would establish their own. All right, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the Fight Game Media Network podcast feed, the free feed on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you're listening to your podcast. Hit the subscribe button because it helps us out a ton. All right, let's jump right into the history of Terry and Dory Funk Jr.
0: Dory Funk Sr. and Dory Funk Jr. Terry Funk was more of a player, wrestler, you know, active wrestler, but uh, father Dory Funk Sr. and Dory Funk Jr. was also a part producer for All Japan Pro Wrestling. And they are the ones sending all the territory superstars from all over the United States to All Japan pro wrestling all japan giant Baba's all japan pro wrestling was the company that had that every single american superstar from you know all different territories that like the wrestlers i read about on on the wrestling magazines you know what i'm saying
1: Mm, the top wrestlers in the world around the world yeah in the magazines you saw the pictures of them those were the ones you read about
0: yeah, yeah, you talk about not just Dory Funk Jr. and Terry Funk and Hurry Race, but you re- read about people like Don Leo Jonathan, the Wilbur Snyder, the Dick the Bruiser, the, of course, Mel Mill Maskers, the you know, all, all I mean, the, the Sheik. people. Yeah, Sheik and Abby are more regular, you know. Mm-hmm. But we'll, talk, we'll get to Abdul the butcher and the Sheik in, in a minute because it's very important you know, part of the, the Funk's legacy. Uh, the, the Dory Funk, Terry Funk, the Funk's against Abdul the Butcher and the Sheik, the legendary tag team event, that really helped each other in, in hindsight. That the legendary tag team match made the Funk's bigger baby face than, than, than ever before. And that tag team match made Abdullah the Butcher and the Sheik even bigger heel, you know they really demonstrated what the baby faces are and what the heels are in Japanese ring. See up until then, see American Japanese superstar against American superstar, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's kind of subtle, but Japanese stars are the baby face and American stars or heels or the subtle heels. Even people like uh, way back in when uh, Luthes, when he came to Japan, he plays so for heel, you know what I'm saying? Making like a, you know, you do the collar elbow tie up and you know, push onto the rope. And the referee tell tell you to break up, break it up, right? Mm-hmm. Then you make the clean break if you're a baby face wrestler. But even for Luthace's case, that he pushed the elbow onto guy's face and bam, you kind of do a... Um, T- teeny push, you know, as you break off the, you know, mm-hmm. from the rope, and showing the message of subtle heelness. Yeah, not entirely would...
1: clean break,
0: right? It was right. a little the, rough. The... And also, then you keep doing, you know, giving uh certain like uh, gestures and certain sending certain signal to people that he might play dirty. Mm-hmm. But those are the individual superstars. But basically, up until seventies, it was always Japanese against American, huh? But the Funks, were, and I should say, I should add Mill Maskers, but the Funks, Terry Funk and Dory Funk were the very first complete American babyface. I see. Oh, yeah, of course, you know, Giant Baba and Jumbo Truder against the Funks happened so many times, but the both teams worked like babyface. Right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so they still work against each other, but the, the Funks against another American team. The funks are always like automatic babyface. Hmm. Yeah. Goes back. Go back. Let's go back to the NWA. You know, title match. That uh, the World Heavyweight Championship thing being like undisputed, you know, the closest thing to undisputed World Heavyweight Title. That uh, <laughs> it's like my childhood memory. The comic book series of Tiger Mask. Hmm. There are two two different uh, things. That the animation, you know, TV animation series of Tiger Mask and the comic book series of tiger mask actually they had uh comic book series and animation series had two different ending okay yeah so um, which uh, which came out first um actually comic book came first and became so popular it became animation i see but the, yeah, but the animation runs so fast in, two, in so many different episodes and so many different characters, including fiction fictional wrestlers, that actually they surpassed uh, that the uh, comic book version. So they became two different stories almost. Ah, okay. Yeah, and the comic and the anime version were targeted for more more childish, I guess. You know, like uh, there's a uh, Torano Anna that uh, b- big, you know uh like evil faction that that you know that trained tiger mask tiger Mask betrayed this bad company that that he became good wrestler and then uh, stopped paying them um uh, you know like off off of your of your money that, that that you make from wrestling you have to pay back uh the toranoana you know the until you retire or something so you know that's that, that's a actual story for this. You know, the basic storyline that uh, he wanted to help orphans in Japan. That he stopped sending money to your uh, wrestling school. Instead, he starts spending, you know, money to help orphans or uh, children's hospital and all these things. That's a story. Then he stayed in Japan and became good guy. That's the an animation version. And your enemy is always almost like a faction. I mean, like a fiction. Version of a you know, but the comic book version uh, was more almost like a half non fiction. Then, at the very last episode of comic book version of Tiger Mask, he challenged Dory Funk Jr. for NWA title. Oh, wow! So he was a part <laughs> of the story, mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Comic book version of, yeah, and uh, the first title match. The Tiger Mask challenged Dory funk jr for NWA title that ran the whole episode of the, how Dory funk, you know, the funk family became that uh, very famous wrestling family. The father Dory funk senior was big star in Texas, wanted to be champion, but then the challenge Luthes, but the Luthes, uh, kind of beat him, you know, the square that, uh, Dory Funk Sr. had a dream that he will make his sons world heavyweight champion someday. Mm-hmm. And then uh, they, tr- you know, they portrayed Dory Funk Sr. as a Texas rebel heel that couldn't beat the Mister Professional Wrestling, the Kingpin Luthias. Mm-hmm. It's kind of almost similar. I mean, like a, almost historical. That's like almost real story. Then, then the Dory Funk Jr. became pro. Professional wrestler and challenged, challenged through tests, couldn't beat him. Then eventually he beat Gene Kanisky to become world heavy, NWA world heavyweight champion. That's an old pretty real story, right? I mean, then came was to a Japan. Then Baba Challenge. Yeah. hmm mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause up until Gene Kanisky, it's an old generation. And 28-year-old Dory Funk Jr. finally beats Gene Knutski in Tampa, Florida, to become NWA champion, 1969. Then he comes to Japan. This all a real story. And actually, Giant Baba challenges, couldn't beat him. Antonio Inoki challenges Dory Funk, couldn't beat him. Both 60-minute brawl away. But that really established in Japan that see, Baba couldn't beat Dory, right? Mm. Inoki couldn't beat Dory, and he takes the world, you know, heavyweight title home. I said, "Oh my gosh!" It's like a- even for me as a kid, NWA World Heavyweight Champion, Championship, I should say, is something above pro resu, right? Mm-hmm. Japanese wrestling. Back to Tiger Mask, the comic book series Tiger Mask. Tiger Mask, Two, challenged. You know, that's like a, becoming like a final episode that the, he challenged Dory Funk Jr. for NWA title and he put the abdominal stretch to finish him off, right? Then mm-hmm. Tiger Mask put abdominal stretch to uh, Dory Funk Jr. Dory Funk Jr. all of a sudden, punches out the referee to 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 get DQ'd on purpose. Therefore, Tiger Mask beats Dory Funk Jr. I mean, for this title match, but the finish, that the outcome was the 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 DQ finish. Therefore, the champion retained the title. Mm. Kind of hollow and, victory. Yeah. Then right in between the you know first title match to second title match, he was going. Tiger Mask was going to challenge. If, you know for the second. I mean th- there were two two title matches lined up. One in and one in Tokyo and then one in Osaka. Just like real history, right? Mm. <laughs> Between two title matches, he visit his orphan's home. Then he got in a car accident and uh, Naoto Date dies. Mm-hmm. And that was like, and he 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 got killed by the, the big truck and uh, he threw the mask out of his pocket so nobody knows he was Tiger Mask, but he dies. And uh, Tiger Mask no-shows. Dory Funk and title match was the second title match with Dory Funk Jr. That was the end of the story. Oh, what a story. Yeah, yeah. But uh, that that part that the champion, world champion, get DQ'd, you know, on purpose and to keep the title was like, wow, that was new for kids, right? Mm. That's right. You need to pin the champion or the <clears throat> pinfall or submission is the only way that you you can beat the champion. Uh, count out finish. Uh, you shouldn't say finish, but the, the count out or the DQ, ooh, ooh, you can you can win the match, but you can not win the championship. We hmm. learn that. I mean, something about the real world, huh? Anyhow, that uh, comic book series Tiger Mask was so big. I think that helped Dory Funk Jr.'s name in Japan. Also, that guy really is the world heavyweight champion. Uh, from America, and that the Japanese wrestlers, if it's Jan Baba or Antonio Inoki, or even the comic book hero Tiger Mask couldn't beat him. Almost untouchable world champion. Interesting, huh?
1: Like a a folk hero almost, like the the mythos of Dory Funk Jr. before you get into the ring, you sort of knew
0: that already. Yeah, yeah, and then he uh, he beats Gene Koniski for NW uh, World Heavyweight title for the first time in 1969, right? He really comes to Japan that year. then for real, uh, the Giant Baba challenges, Anthony Inoki challenges, and both couldn't beat Dory Funk, and he he, he took the title home. Wow, right? Hmm. I mean, 1969 version of Giant Baba and Antonio Inoki. It was before Inoki opens his New Japan Pro Wrestling and Giant Baba opens his All Japan Pro Wrestling. You have to wait another three years to happen. Hmm. But so, but Inoki and Baba were together in J, you know, Nippon Pro Wrestling, JWA. But uh, that that's a company that the Tiger mask worked for <laughs> too, mm. you know? And uh, yeah, but uh, um, we're talking about Dory and Terry Funk this time that uh, uh, Dory Funk junior was your childhood real world heavyweight champion for most, most uh, like uh wrestling fans today, the over age 50, you know, th- that's how NW is being looked at and the uh, world heavyweight champion means in Japan.
1: You know, yeah. I think after Dory Funk, it's a little bit different of a topic, but that style of, uh, I guess, promotion or, or or getting a foreign star over by putting him into a comic book and talking about him like a character, that also happened along with the Abdul the Butcher, the Sheep.
0: Mel Mascaris,
1: Pedro Morales, who he's the one who taught the giant
0: baba drop kick i don't know if it's true <laughs> but uh,
1: yeah but i remember yeah. i've seen the you know the artwork and it's like they're training out in the woods and it's it's yeah, like kind oh, yeah of camping out in
0: mountain yeah mm. and the campfire and the giant baba playing guitar or something at something night. like that yeah it was
1: very <laughs> i mean could it be true i mean it's not that far-fetched a lot of people believe it though it's believable it's believable enough oh, oh yeah and instead of just saying it or talking about it on the broadcast, making it into a comic book over I
0: think, and over, yeah, had but a very see, different effect. Yeah, different effect. And uh, the, the as a, if you experienced, you know, Dory Funk Jr. as N.W. World Heavyweight Champion as a kid, that really stays in you forever. Mm-hmm. Really, yeah, and. Right when Jumbo Tsuruda, after 1972 Munich Olympic, he, he turns pro, right? And young Tomomi Tsurura, um after a few months of training in Japan, he was sent to Amarillo, Texas to be trained under the Funks. Oh, mm. uh, true, right? That's true. And yeah, and that was when Dory Funk Jr. dropped, dropped his title to Hurley Race for the first time mm-hmm. 1973 and right after dory drops his nw World title to hurley race for the first time um dory funk senior passes away for real you know mm-hmm. in, in amarillo texas in in, in, in in that's like wow um dory funk senior passed away and Dory and Terry has to take over the Amarillo territory, and he's also he's still active, you know, wrestler. But he they have to be superstar. I mean, uh, the promoter and J- young Jumbo Truth is in and over there. That the that the early seventies Japanese fan re- read about all these, and how Amorelo Texas became like a sister city to Japanese wrestling. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's also interesting how. After being introduced to the Japanese fans, the Japanese fans were familiar with them, but their story too, and they they got to experience that death sort of with Dory Senior. They they were there and they they heard about it at the same time. So I think that and also
0: all the wrestling fans in Japan read that uh, Dory Funk Senior was the one who helped Jan Baba to to open uh, All Japan Pro Wrestling. And Dory Funk Sr. was the one who was sending all the American wrestlers superstars to Japan. You know, just like Uncle Dory, right? Mm-hmm. And senior.
1: And also, and, uh, just, uh, just from the look of it, I mean, you had Dory Jr. He really did look like his dad when they were yeah, younger, especially. Yeah. I mean, they looked, it, it was so believable. It was a believable situation. They were a real family.
0: Oh, of course, and the suit and tie with with cowboy hat. hat. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, very interesting. That's Texas. Oh, Texas, and uh, it's it's such a cliche or almost almost stereotype. But if you ask any Japanese person, it's uh, these American people, you know, wearing cowboy hat. It's just right out of movies, right?
1: Hmm. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, it it kind of serves the stereotype. It's kind of it satisfies what's already in your mind. If you're in Japan already and you have an idea about what a cowboy might look like, right?
0: They check all the boxes. After Dory Funk Jr., this Dory, yeah, Dory, you know, no longer NWA World Heavyweight Champion, right? Mm -hmm. He, as a former World Champion, start coming to Japan regularly. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're NWA World Champion, maybe you come to Japan once a year for one week, sure. You know, maybe twice but one-week tour, not five-week tour or six-week tour or like eight-week tour or anything like that, you know, that the Dory Funk Jr., famous former real-world heavyweight champion, start traveling to Japan three or four or five times a year. Oh, my gosh, he's all Japan regular and working babyface because everybody knows that he's the one who trained Jumbo Tsurura. Yeah. Three years later, let's fast forward three years, 1976. Former sumo superstar Genichiro Tenru mm. uh, qu- quit sumo wrestling and turned pro wrestling, you know, uh, turned to pro, pro wrestling uh, under Jan Baba. Jan, instead of Tenru making any in the debut match in Japan, he was also sent to Amarillo, Texas to be trained under the Funks again. That's another, let uh, mean, so that's that the sister territory, you know, story continues. Jumbo was sent to Amorello to be trained you know by the Funks. Tenru was was sent to Amorello uh, to be trained under the Funks. And what was interesting was was though so that when Jumbo was in Amorello rookie Stan Hansen and rookie Bob Backlund were with them. Hmm. And when Tenru was sent to uh, Amorello uh, to to be trained under the Funks Ted, young Ted DiBiase, and Tali Blanchard were there with mm. them. I mean, this is not fiction; it's all real story, and it was in magazine. It's like a, so. Ted DiBi, you know, people familiar with Ted DiBiase as, as like a fan family, before his first, you know, appearance in Japan.
1: And uh, wasn't uh, DiBiase? Wasn't that Tenru's first match with Ted DiBiase?
0: Right in, in, in America, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, ten minute, ten minute TV match because both rookie. Hmm. But the legacy and uh, real history, and it's like the Jan conne- Baba's real connection with American wrestling, big time promoters, and it's de- it, that really made really made all Japan pro wrestling and Jan Baba as like a real big deal because Jan Baba really does have real strong connection with Americans like uh, mainstream wrestling, you know. Not just family, but the mainstream wrestling business, like establishment, mm-hmm. where Anthony Inoki really struggled for a long time. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, it, it, the Baba family, All Japan, that was the connection to the NWA.
0: Going into the 70s yeah, and yeah. 80s. And uh, All Japan Pro Wrestling was the only company that in that, that brings in NWA World Champion. <clears throat> when it was Hardy Race, Hardy Race, and Hardy Race dro- drops title to Jack Briscoe, Jack Briscoe comes over, you know, and w- when Jack Briscoe was beaten by Terry Funk, and Terry Funk, you know, comes comes back as NWA Champion. Oh, of course, Terry Funk was regular uh, with all japan pro wrestling at the time but uh, while terry funk was nw world champion he couldn't come because it's another myth of nw world champion that uh, your your bedroom is your airplane (laughs) Hmm. yeah you travel so much that uh, you'll be sleeping on the plane Hmm. Hmm. not so far from truth because you traveled a lot then you know territory to territory to States to States, to even over the ocean to different countries. And you're the world heavyweight champion. But Terry Funk's N.W. reign only lasted about a year. He dropped the title back to Harley Race. Then Harley Race still comes back, you know, comes to Japan, all Japan. Wh- wh- whomever N.W. champion at the time, they all come to all, all Japan pro wrestling. That's promoter Jan Baba's power. Isn't that interesting? Hmm.
1: and, and uh, I guess these, you know, supplemental comic books really helped build the aura of the NWA
0: for teenager, you know, male wrestling fans. Of course, mm. they watch every, you know, watch all the wrestling on TV and read all the wrestling magazine and also read the comic books too. Mm. It's like I'm talking about myself then. But
1: (laughs) But it was a lot of people, right? It was, it was, uh, I mean, it was huge at the time. Oh, yeah. Oh,
0: yeah. I was the only one. But, uh, you know, uh, there are uh, like a type of wrestling fan who stays with this NWA myth. And I'm on the other side of the group that I grew out of this NWA myth, you know, Mm -hmm. because it was like, um, Right, but it's just another territory that the NWA find. But uh, you, if you read Wrestling Magazine carefully, there's a, a Vern Gagne as AWA. That's pretty large, you know, territory map on the you know Midwest to northern part of you know United States and parts of Canada all the way till like West Coast almost, right? Mm-hmm. Then there was. The, the geographically smaller but the population was much bigger new york city wwwf hmm. that had business partnership with antonio in new japan pro wrestling for 10 uh, over 10 years so it's like uh nwa isn't the only thing and but the you know large portion of wrestling fans in japan to this day still believe that nwa was the biggest organization ever and the biggest you know governing body for professional wrestling, and that every all the promoters all over the United States had to have membership, or you're the outlaw <laughs> mm. I don't know,
1: yeah, it was like <clears throat> the official the... brand it was like it's the trusted brand it's it was wrestling at the time,
0: yeah, I guess so, yeah. And people love the NWA belts, you know? Sure. That the Dory Funk's black leather belt to Harley Race model, your, what do you call it, the globe model thing. All the way to probably like, uh, to, uh, all the way till, to uh, Ric Flair's gold belt, you know?
1: And all of the NWA champions from that time that came over, they all ended up having pretty distinct legacies in Japan, and they're all well known, well respected. Harley and Race, race. Jake Briscoe.
0: Mm-hmm. Jan Briscoe, yeah. All or, to this day, yeah. Uh, after the, the, the Texas Stadium, um, Kerry Von Eric, ne- you know, uh, mm-hmm. at Texas Stadium, 84, Kerry Von Eric beats Ric Flair for NWA title. That was a big deal, right? Mm. But both guys, uh, right after that, both guys traveled to Japan. Ric Flair as a challenger and Kerry Von Eric as NWA champion. They had the title match in Yokosuka, Japan. That's where Kerry Von Erich dropped the title. Mm. in Japan in Japan and, yeah then Rick takes the belt home from Japan that's, that's also like a big promoter thing you know for really like educated fans eyes mm.
1: and maybe yeah. a bigger deal over there than because over here it was, it was used as a way to kind of forget about what happened
0: yeah well, because everybody knew Kerry Von Neck's title reign was not the I mean won't be the long one Right.
1: But yeah, it, it was uh it's always memorable and it was a big part of the perception of the Japanese mm-hmm. fan base at the time.
0: Right, right. And 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 uh, around the same time, see, Inoki always had the NWF belt, right? Mm-hmm. Inoki's channel 10 World Progressing TV show always wanted to refer to that as Big Four. <laughs> big Four meaning NWA, AWA, WWF and NWF, and the, the TV show wanted to treat N- Inoki's NWF title as part of Big Four. Hmm. Not? <laughs> I, I don't mean, know. It, you know, sometimes It was a domestic championship, almost. The, in- Inoki only defended title, not only, but he did that in Brazil and in other places like Mexico, but uh, NWF title always stayed in Japan with Inoki. <clears throat> that was Inoki's legacy title. Mm. Until IWGP, you know, project. Yeah, but, which
1: uh, means the truth was that uh, compared with the NWA title, the NWF title was a less of a big deal overseas. And
0: of um, course, the, the title that Inoki basically purchased, purchased from yeah. Ohio, right?
1: But on the, on one hand, I mean that title became kind of synonymous with Inoki himself. The look.
0: Yeah, yeah, for that seven years. That was his years. belt, yeah. Yeah, that was his belt. And the challenger was really strong, like, you know, Andre the Giant, uh, Stan Hansen, uh, uh, whomever came to Japan at the time, that he beat it all, you know, beat them all. And also against Japanese superstars, like Strong Kobayashi, the Kintaro Oki, the the Inoki really put, the, you know, title online and defended. And, and the NWF title was big deal within Japan. But they had to deal with this Inoki against Bob Backlund, you know, you know, program in Japan. That the, how he could beat Bob Backlund and how could he get out of it, n- but not losing it again. You know what I'm saying? Hmm. But another, that's another subject for another day. We, we can talk about that a little bit in another, another episode. We're talking about the, the Funks. The Funks, Ter- Dorian Terry, <clears throat> was every bit bigger superstar as when he when they were world heavyweight champion. They come to Japan three or four times a year for all Japan's long tours and work babyface. And that made existing big heel like Abdullah the Butcher big, big deal too. Because now you know how complete babyface work and complete heel work, you know. And it was kind of Terry Funk, uh, Abdullah the Butcher program really complemented each other they made Terry even bigger star, and Abdullah Butcher, you know, even bigger star, and all the heels, uh, American heels that came in. That, that if you work against Terry Funk, you're automatic heel. Hmm.
1: And this yeah. was in all
0: Japan, Oh Japan, yeah, all through seventies, well into eighties, and also uh, the Funks brought in young dick slater and ted dibiase to be funk family they young young dick slater and young ted dibiase they worked just like terry funk Mm. the punch the elbow drop the spinning toe hold double arm suplex you know what i'm saying
1: Mm. yeah it's like a mini version dick slater at
0: least was like a mini version at one point of Terry funk was yeah like a right-handed right-handed terry funk Hmm. Terry Funk's softball, So he, he does everything from left hand, you know, the hmm. boxing punch and everything. That uh, Terry Funk, uh, that the Dickie Slater, rather, he worked just like Terry Funk, but right-handed person. But the same color tights, same, you know, like very similar ring boots, and same fluffy curly hair of 70s. <laughs> All right, let me ask you yeah. this. Yeah? When
1: did Terry Funk... And his singles career break a little bit away from Dory Funk Jr. and his singles career, because of course the older brother had to outshine the younger brother for a little bit. But Terry Funk, he went on his own path and had a, a different sort of career. Even though they were both um, NWA champions, when was it in Japan at least?
0: Uh, they didn't really separate. Actually, they, they were, were a like tag
1: a- team for a long time, right? Tag
0: team for a long time, but uh, they were also individuals in you know, a single superstar too at the same time so when did terry start to break because, out uh it's, a, it's like almost like a character differences dory funk jr always quiet calm never you know like appeal to to the audience or anything he's just always quiet and uh he just does everything like quiet cool and it works whereas terry funk is more exaggerated you know that he laughs, he cries, he bleeds, he's so emotional that uh, it's like a, It was always Dory Funk who calms his brother down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like a, two different personality that that really complement each other. Dory Funk is always like a cool, uh, precise, and meticulous, and and then just. Like a cool person who is, people know that he's a business partner of Giant Baba too. Whereas Terry Funk is total Texas cowboy. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Dory and the good looking guy.
1: Junior, he would never really change his facial expression. He would nope. always kind nope. of wear the same one. Terry Funk is he's oh,
0: guys, emotional and excited, and uh, yeah,
1: and he really used his body, not just um, you know. Of course, he's a wrestler, but he almost had a slapstick way. To and, and it's not meant to say that in any sort of insulting way, in, in a very unique way. The way he would flop his body around the, the ring, he would always remember, yeah,
0: like it. he takes crazy bumps,
1: crazy bumps almost, it's almost cartoonish for a moment, and yeah. a, you always remember it.
0: And, and and when when the sheik and, and, and Abdullah the butcher takes this foreign object or the like a wooden stick or ballpoint pen or some foreign object, start poking people's you know face or forehead, arm. It was onto Terry Funk's body instead mm-hmm. of Dory, of
1: yeah. course. And it, it was always Funk. I don't
0: remember Dory ever really bled that much. Terry was the one bleeding. If,
1: if Dory Funk bled, I feel like it would be in a singles main event match, but not one of the tag team. But maybe I think some of those uh, oh, but sheik like, matches.
0: somebody like. By, by Brody or somebody.
1: Sure. And I think some of those right. matches that we're talking about between the Funks and Abdul and the Sheik, there was. A, I'm sure there were some matches where all four were covered in blood. Well, I, I, I'd have to, uh, you know. I'd right,
0: right, right. Go back that and happened. watch. But the, the match but it was always more than terry. once. It, it was always Terry. It was always Terry. Was always... Was terry. Yeah. In trouble, then, 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 then Dory Funk comes in the ring and rescue his younger brother. Mm-hmm. That was good for Japanese audience. Dory, go get Terry! Dory, go get Terry! So it's it like so emotional, you know.
1: And Terry yeah. was so clear in what he was doing, the way he was uh communicating his pain to the audience. There was no um ambiguity about uh what he was doing, it was just clear kind of a communication with the crowd. He's in pain and he's in trouble.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, Almost he, over the top. Uh, the yeah. yeah. And well, that's what he made in, into hardcore wrestler in 90s when he was 50 something. Mm. Yeah, and, yeah. I,
1: and I mean, I guess you could make an argument that those matches he was having in the 80s in All Japan were some of the first hardcore matches in pro wrestling.
0: Pretty much, probably. Yeah. But uh, Jan Papa never did have death matches in there. No mm. Bob Dwyer, nothing.
1: It know? evolved in the 90s for sure.
0: Well, another, uh, like, almost like a Baba's child by Atsushi Onita. That was his interpretation. Atsushi Onita wanted to be like Terry Funk. mm mm-hmm. Yeah. But we'll get to that. Uh, Dory Funk Jr., Terry Funk, the Funks against Baba Jumbo, right? And uh, the, the, there's, like, a, the Funks against Harley Race and Nick Markwinkle together. And uh, the Funks against... Uh, Billy Robinson and uh, somebody like Les Thornton or the Wild Angus or somebody from England or some, you know, these different matches. The um, Funks against Br- Br- Hanson and Brody, of course. The mm-hmm. Funks against Brody and Snuka, you mm, know? Sure. And, yeah. And uh, it was always the Funks being total babyface. The American, but the total babyface in Japan that going up against American Big Heels. That it was really easy to understand, but what it's about with those matches they would
1: have with uh Baba and Jumbo?
0: It was more like uh, when when Jumbo was in the ring, it was like a teacher and the pupil. Ah, okay, yeah, yeah, because uh, if you remember uh, forearm smash, elbow smash thing that the Dory Funk does,
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah, like European uppercut, you call it now, sure, that that, that, that thing that Dory gives it to Jumbo, and Jumbo comes back and do the exact same, like elbow smash, the same way, same form. Mm. Mm. Huh. Same double arm suplex, Dory gives to Jumbo, and then Jumbo gives to Dory. S- same side suplex, side suplex. Same, in the belly-to-belly belly suplex, yeah, same. Yeah. Or the sometimes re- reverse suplex, you bridge up, and, and you get up, and gives, you know, and then rolls up into your backslide or something. It's just something scientific, they call it. Then, mm. yeah. So it was like a Baba stayed out of the ring a lot. That <laughs> 80% of the match, Jumbo was in it. Jumbo against Story, Jumbo against Terry. When Terry was in the ring with Jumbo, it was another, you know, teacher and people match up. That the, the Jumbo worked a lot like young Terry Funk, too. And the selling yeah. was the same, too. Yeah. And they and, uh, even wore kind of the same uh, trunks, right? Right. We talked about that. The jumbo yeah. young jumbo had this either blue, in the blue or red short trunks with star on your butt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The lone yeah. star. Yeah, exact same tights that Terry Funk wore, and uh, it was just uh, the visually it was clear that the, it's a teacher against people kind of match up and drama that drama drama not in the, in the modern. In the term drama, but the drama in nice way. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Dramatic. Yeah, yeah, dramatic. Yeah, and uh, it that babyface against babyface tag team matchup worked that way. Yeah, and uh, it just Dory and Terry were who are always regular, you know, not just American superstars that come in once or twice a year or once a year or every, every other year. And Terry Funk and Dory Funk, sometimes they have solo tour. Dory Funk come in for two weeks and, and following two weeks, Dory, you know, Terry Funk come in. And at the end of the year, tag team tournament, the Dory and Terry are together. And mm-hmm. every summer, you know, there's a, they, they use the same name still, Summer Action Series, the name of the tour. You mm-hmm. know. Uh, for kids are out for, you know, for summer, summer vacation. July, mas, you know, Mel Maskers and his, his brother, those come in and, and spend summer here. Then uh, summer action series part two in August, Dory and Terry will come out, you know, they come in and it's like, during the summer, all Japan had a lot of kids in that, in that building. And uh, that was around the time that, uh, you know, wrestling fans, kids, even, you know, not, not just boys, but, the you know, female fans too, they go, you know, go to hotels where they're staying and wait for wrestlers, right? Hmm. And Dory and Terry always, always sign autograph and take picture with them until the very last person. Hmm. It doesn't matter how many kids were there. I mean, I'm talking about hundreds, you know. 200 kids in hotel lobby, you know, and always get kicked out. But uh, the the Terry Funk, Dory Funk always smiles and always in good mood. And especially Terry Funk, that he signs autograph and take picture with them all the way to the very last person, then leaves. Hmm. I mean, he doesn't get paid doing that, right? Hmm. But that was Terry Funk way. You know, they, all people love Terry Funk. Then Terry uh, announces his retirement in 1983. Some of 1983, that uh, Terry Funk announces retirement. Later, like 15 years later, that uh, Terry Funk told me in person that uh, New Japan at the time was so strong with you know not just Inoki and Hal Kogan but uh, Fujinami Choshu in his prime, you know, program, and uh, the Satoru Sayama's original Tiger Mask, so big deal, and then New Japan was like a really, really like in the boom period. And and, then all Japan felt that they need to do something, you know, like really something drastic. And that was Terry Funk's retirement. That uh, People believed it, of course, you know. Well, now that in hindsight, (laughs) how many times did Terry Funk retire, right? Exactly, yeah. So in hindsight, it's kind of a different uh, story. Yeah, but it's 30, 40 years later now. So now we know. But uh, in summer of 1983, it was sad and it was like a really big deal that the, oh god our hero Terry Funk's retiring that his his body can't take it anymore right and the big cowboy Stan Hansen taking over of course Stan Hansen would be all Japan top top gaijin talent for the next 20 years and nothing to take you know anything away from Stan Hansen He's such a big star but uh you cannot coexist huh Terry Funk and Stan Hansen no, they're quite different.
1: Yeah. I mean, they're similar, but they're also pretty different. I think the size differences. Is...
0: Yeah, but uh, there's a backstory to it too. That uh, uh, Stan Hansen, the the Bruiser Brody, all people like you know uh, Dusty Rose, Bobby Duncan, the Ted DiBiase, the younger Barry Windham, you know, they all attended the same college. West Texas, right? West Texas, right, right. And uh, the story, the famous story that the Stan Hansen and and Terry Funk were friends before Stan was a wrestler. Mm. You know what I'm mm. saying? And uh, they're both big Texan, Tex, Texas cowboy. And this might be Stan Hansen's that time. And sure enough that the younger Stan Hansen will always beat up Terry Funk. Terry, Terry Funk's body breaking down. And uh, it was perfect retirement, you know, d- drama that uh, Terry Funk all of a sudden, you know, announces his retirement in the summer of 1983. And the retirement match that year was Dory and Terry against Stan Hansen and young Terry Gordy. They introduced Terry Gordy in that match. Mm. Wow. Yeah, Terry Gordy also wearing cowboy hat, that time. 21-year-old Terry Gordy, though, you know? He was full size pretty much by then. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Freebirds already then. Mm. Yeah. The the old Japan and Jan Baba was almost responsible for breaking up, you know, the fabulous Freebirds. You know, Michael Hayes didn't really want to come to Japan and do that, you know, that he had a Von Eric program or the Midwest or or wherever they went, Freebirds were the instant main event. And Michael Hayes and Terry, Terry Gordy, real friends in real life. But uh Terry Gordy just himself, you know, got the deal in Japan. So he's splitting time between Freebird and all Japan schedule. And then more, you know, more dates with all Japan. That spelled the end of Freebirds. And but the Freebird had a Freebird, you know, fabulous Freebird had a third member, Buddy Roberts. But later on, that the gorgeous Jimmy Garvin became one of the freebirds too. So, mm-hmm. uh, the Terry Gordy and Michael Hayes re- remained friends in real life, but uh, more and more Terry Gordy became all Japan wrestler. I mean, beginning of eighties, yeah. Mm-hmm. Are you following me?
1: And Funk had, Terry Funk had a very, that very emotional, very dramatic uh, retirement inside the ring. The forever promo.
0: Forever, forever, forever. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, so, it was a big, big retirement. And that was featured in the movie Beyond the Mat. Mm-hmm, Remember? hmm Yeah. Um, Beyond the Mat was pretty much about Almost Terry Almost Funk. Terry Funk's Terry Funk movie, right? Yeah. Right. What was interesting is, though, that the older brother, Dory, did not retire. And from that point on, John Baba and Dory Funk became regular tag team. hmm Yeah. And Jumbo and Tenru became regular tag team. And by then, mid '80s, Jumbo switched his trunks and boot, wrestling boots from this star and you know star and spangle and the blue you know red and white and blue uh, to black trunks and black boots, hmm. matching tights and trunks with Tenru, and they, you know, Kakuryu, Kak, Kakuryu combination, and Jumbo and Tenru became the regular tag team to be international tag team champion until Tenru turned on him. But that takes uh, takes a while. And even with
1: Tenru and Jumbo together as a team, even though those are two Japanese wrestlers, there is that funk influence on them as well and their wrestling DNA.
0: Oh yeah, because everybody knows that the both guys were different you know, I mean, seventy three and seventy six, three years apart. But they both were trained under the Funks. So
1: that kind of uh, funk feeling, that's still with all Japan, even without Terry Funk being there. So.
0: Yeah, and not just for Japanese market, but the people know people knew how big the the, the family meant hmm. in in wrestling business in America. You know, yeah, this uh, that that's his whole old Japan Giant Baba's establishment kind of thing, that uh, he is the one who has a great strong connection with American wrestling and wrestling business in America, which wrestling came from, in, in, hmm. right? Hmm. Yeah, because whereas Antonio Inoki's New Japan Pro Wrestling is more of a domestic feeling, like a Japanese movie, you mm-hmm. know, when Jan Baba's old Japan kind of imports Hollywood movie, right? Right. And right. use pro wrestlers uh, from America as they were in America. I mean, if, whether it's, you know... Wahoo McDaniel or Dick Murdoch or Dick Murdoch, or or, or, yeah, originally worked for Japan and all these, these super, American superstars. You work like you've been read on magazine, whereas when American superstars come to Inoki's New Japan, all of a sudden he starts playing heels because Inoki complete domestic, like a Japanese. I mean, samurai, you know, babyface, right? Mm-hmm. That the Inoki beats him right away. No big rivalries. <laughs> yeah. Just like Hulk Hogan. Same method. Yeah. Well, the, the Hulk Hogan learned it from Inoki, I, I think, mm-hmm. that uh, Inoki and Taiga Jitsing program lasted over a decade. Then mm-hmm. uh, at the same time, Inoki against heel under the giant, I mean, in his prime, Under the Giant worked heel, amazing, amazing heel, and monster. And also wrestled pretty good. And uh, uh, younger Stan Hansen, you know, will eventually switch sides. But, uh, yeah, uh, they were the program. But other NWF title match challengers, Inoki beat everybody right away, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's not like Terry Funk, Dory Funk kind of, you know, friendship. Oh, I guess that the, you know, the only American that the Inoki used as in a more of an establishment was Korogachi and Luthes. That's it. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Like a strong style, the, uh, like a birth of strong style, make wrestling into legitimate contest. You know, we learn from You know, you know what I'm saying? It's mm-hmm. a different method, but they almost same, you know, philosophy, but, uh, uh, Old Japan had Dori Funk, Terry Funk, and all the American I mean, mainstream, uh, like a big territory, you know, superstars. Inoki always had the, their own American crew, and the, the only one who had any, any influence was Korgach. I mean, like a decade. I mean, like a generation or two younger than Funks, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And he was kind of older at the time too. I mean, he was wrestling, but it wasn't uh, as regular.
0: Oh, Inoki against uh, the, the, the early seventies, Antonio Inoki against Corrigan single match. Mm. Carl was 47, 48. Mm. and one single match. Luthes had had against uh, against uh, <clears throat> Antonio Inoki was like Luthes was fifty-nine. <laughs> you were there yeah. for that, right? <clears throat> yeah, I was there as a kid. Of course, I went to watch Inoki. Enochie- against Korgach too i was mm. fifth grade sixth grade inoki sakaguchi against korgach and luthes together as tag team match i was there yeah, i was sixth grade
1: how about the funks <laughs> what are your memories of seeing the funks live
0: oh uh, being chased by abby I had <laughs> so, so, such oh god it was like uh, people run for real cuz you don't want to be chased by the abby and, and Sheik, you know and then we you know my buddy from school and I got chased by Abdul the Butcher when when I was like a fifth grade, sixth grade. And we really ran for real, you know? <laughs> then we laughed so hard that it, was, it was like, a, I thought it was the greatest thing. It's a different feeling because when the coral, when coral come to Japan, you sit and watch the deity. Mm. You study, you know? Oh, yeah. no, almost like a, it's like almost a priest, Roman Pope or something, <laughs> like somebody, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Yeah you get serious about it what you're watching what you're watching is really really serious you better be serious too Mm. behave you know oh just you know inoki carl got single match like like a quiet heat you know like a silent heat Mm -hmm. then uh, when some you know when they do something cool you just sit and clap Mm right whereas Terry Funk and Abdul the Butcher, the Sheik—you just have to scream. You know, mm. this is a different kind of feeling. It was chaos. Oh, I loved both. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you it's just a different styles. Oh, and also you expect different show when you go to different you know company.
1: Yeah, there were big stylistic differences.
0: Yeah, so it was like a Friday night wrestling on Channel Ten and a Saturday night wrestling on Channel Four—two different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was interesting back in seventies into early 80s that the tv code like uh, regulation were different you know i mean we got some you know, a lot more strict over the years that it's like 70s tv show was almost like all r-rated almost because on prime time eight o'clock at night Abdullah the butcher and janet bob were bleeding on live tv mm. yeah it was pretty i guess graphic for the time huh I think so. Oh, the same thing uh, about Anthony Nokia and Tiger Jeet Singh. Both guys bleeding on national television.
1: And there's some maniac Network with television. a weapon, uh, like a knife or a fork uh, or a saber.
0: Or, or a saber, of course. Yeah, Tiger Jeet Singh. Yeah. Or Abdullah the Butcher takes something out of his boots. You know. Mm-hmm. Or yeah, a pencil, and, uh, ballpoint pens. I mean, and, or, or the chair shots to your head. Sure.
1: Yeah. yeah, It was pretty, and I think there was, a, it started a, Japan with a high tolerance for in-ring violence at around that time, because it was violent in certain parts of the States, but not on television. Can't be, yeah. Mm-hmm. In the picture, right, right. yeah, at the house shows and in the picture, sure. And depending yeah, on they the They didn't really
0: take it easy on TV, you know, until like 80s. And then uh, other force. That changed the, the the content of wrestling. It wasn't a wrestling company, but the TV didn't want it anymore after mm. probably mid 80s. Yeah. See, Ricky Ric days in you know late 50s into 60s, they did have you know the blood on TV, and evidently in 1963 when, Freddie Blassie bit, Great Togo's head in color television, the be- beginning of te- color television. People died, you know. Mm, they were it. shocked. Yeah, yeah. Like, it was people actually had heart heart attack. Of course, they had older people and had existing condition. And the television itself was still new. And the color television, nineteen sixty three, just color version being introduced. Somebody watched. It was not actually Freddie Blassie, but it was that the, the great Togo who bled. <laughs> yeah, because that was his thing. People didn't know about right. Mm yeah but that really happened it was not fiction that uh, uh, the TV um, that uh, what do you call that uh, that the third party um, committee that you know that that has this discussion over TV content that uh, the FCC TV. yeah there's something similar FCC, similar yeah, in Japan. yeah. that Raised hand. It's like, should we have this on television any longer? Mm-hmm. And they went back to black and white. You know, wrestling show became black and white all the way till like '67. Another four years. Yeah, Th- that's for real. But anyhow, that uh, back to '70s, Baba, uh, even Baba and Abdullah the Butcher every week. Terry Funk, when he went when, when up against Abdul the Butcher, pretty much every time he was on TV. Yeah, they all bled on TV at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Different time. It was wild. Yeah, different time. Yeah. But Terry Funk and Dory Funk Jr., uh, even after Terry Funk retired in summer of 1983, he uh, kept his like a tour schedule and he was back uh, on all japan tv as a re- uh, special referee mm. you know the following year 84 when jumbo tsura beat nick barkwinkel to become, become awa world WWE champion in japan terry funk was you know special referee mm. with his you know t- tuxedo and all that yeah. So he, he would still come and appear and, and be there. Yeah. Yeah. On TV. Then he made, you know, decide to, you know, announce his comeback at the end of 84. So he was retired all of what year and a half. <laughs> but uh, this time, people kind of almost resented the, his comeback. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Then, then, then in 85 on, it was like Dory Funk, Terry Funk against the Road Warriors. Yeah. That that sound good on paper, but the match wouldn't be all that good. Yeah, yeah Dory
1: and Terry weren't the same guys they were in the seventies at that point. And
0: Dory and... Funk, and the Road Warriors would do just Road Warrior match. Right. So Yeah, yeah. So that the even the great promoter like Janet Baba, he miscalculated a little bit, huh? On that part.
1: Maybe. seems, I, yeah. I, I don't know. But, but also, you got to factor in that I'm sure people didn't expect Terry Funk to come back so
0: soon. So, right, right. So yeah, it, 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 it kind of backfired, yes. Hmm. So it was not, you know, you have to wait another few years until Terry Funk becomes super popular again. It was this time not with old Japan, but hardcore, you know, Onita program. Mm-hmm fmw starts in 1990 and terry funk well dory dory funk re- remained with all japan but terry funk himself he basically jumped to onita's company to help him out yeah mm. while onita you know see onita too retired with his you know the just knee injuries and all these things and he was gone for like five years until he made fmw and he made comeback what he did was complete opposite of what Baba would do. You know, I don't want to say it, but this basic gar- garbage deathmatch ring, total independent style. But mm. people liked it because you have all kinds of wrestling in Japan. You have, you know, All Japan and the new, Inoki's New Japan Pro Wrestling, the two major league of professional wrestling. Then you had F- UWF, that it's like a, almost like a, the birth of MMA, right? the mm-hmm. mma style I mean, mma like professional wrestling then onita had this idea that what he would do would be so different that people would love it you know it's basically playing terry funk mm-hmm. yeah and Under really playing wire. up the violence yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: the violence level was at the complete uh opposite end of the spectrum or scale if you compared it to something like uwf if uwf was sport this was uh, something else this was more action movie and it was what's
0: huge. funny yeah what was funny that the the hardcore or the, the or serious wrestling fans will watch all of it though you know one weekend you go you go watch uwf and get serious then next weekend you go watch onita and probably uh, following week, you, you go watch all Japan women's wrestling.
1: Sure, and all of those shows were pulling lots and lots of people, huge yeah.
0: crowds. And '90s peak period again, yeah. Early '90s was so strong. Well, all Japan women had network channel, Channel Eight Fuji TV, which is mm. good. But uh, Onita and Akira Maeda, you know, UWF, they survived without television. That was amazing. That was like a VHS and rental video era. Mm, that's right. Yeah, yeah, and also video trading for U.S. fans, huh?
1: But also, I guess if you're gonna run your most of your shows in Tokyo, it's a big well, enough city. Or bigger
0: city like Osaka.
1: The yeah, yeah, that that might be big enough. That you might be able to do it between like videotape sales and ticket sales, domestic ticket sales, because the cities mm-hmm. were they were big enough and they were pulling in crowds just like New Japan and All Japan were sometimes more
0: yeah they they did not run as many shows as All Japan and New Japan All Japan Mm and New Japan always always ran 150 to 200 shows a year whereas you know Onita's one tour lasts what uh, 10 days to 2 weeks Mm -hmm. but they videotape it all and and, uh, yeah because each and every death match meant something right Mm. you have to watch it on, on video yeah and they became more extreme, you know, yeah. Then, more acting.
1: Uh, Unito was more dramatic before the match and there would be the little mini movie.
0: Oh yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> then you bring in real Terry Funk, like aged Terry Funk. Mm-hmm, longer yeah. hair. Long tights, mm-hmm. goatee, yeah. And uh, not even walking well, you know. And not shying but away from the- When the match starts. The... Yeah. He not, but no, when uh, the match starts, he can move.
1: Sure. He was doing moonsaults. Oh, he didn't
0: start doing moonsaults until he was 53.
1: <laughs> so how old yeah. was he when in 1990 at this point? This was, uh, was he in his fifth? 50- mm.
0: Yeah, he is. Yeah, because when Terry Funk retired in 1983 for the first time, he was like 38, 39. Okay. us yeah. see. And the 93, a so 10 year plus, so like a, yeah, like a, and forty nine fifty. Yeah, yeah. Because when, when Terry Funk was part of ECW, he was like a 53, 54, 55. Mm-hmm. Remember? Yeah. And then ECW picks up uh, the, the, the almost like a start. Well, they'll change style a little bit later on, but the, the original Paul Heyman idea was like FMW. mm mm-hmm. Bunch of no-name wrestlers, but you do the extre- extreme things. Then eventually it became extreme championship wrestling. And Terry Funk was like a father figure there.
1: Mm. Yeah. yeah, he was so, sort of the, the legitimate outsider who came in to
0: kind of coach their stars. Yeah, you know, living legend of professional wrestling, yes. Mm. Had a people like Tommy Dreamer, yeah. Tommy Dreamer I mean, and well, Raven yeah, and, and Cactus Jack, Sandman, yeah. Yeah, so it's like uh I had another strong run. Big comeback this time. Yeah. So Terry Funk, Dory Funk, you know, just went to separate way, you know. And Dory Funk was never really full-time wrestler in America after 1980s. He always worked Japan, no, but he didn't really... That the work many dates in America anymore. He was running wrestling school in Ocala, Florida. Mm. Yeah. And also was sending, you know, talent to all Japan. Yeah. And also, it was Stan Hansen, Bruce La Brody's prime time. You know, that uh, Dory and Terry are a generation older than Brody and Stan. Hmm. Yeah. So,
1: it's the early 90s, Terry Funk is doing more and more FMW. He does do ECW, and he got, comes back and does IWA a little bit too.
0: Yeah, IWA Japan was a spin-off spin-off uh, of FMW that the people and the group of people and the promoter and producers who weren't happy with Onita's FMW, and uh, along with Victor Quinones uh, as a as a producer, they formed IWA, IWA Japan. It was strong promotion. You know they run stadium card you know, at the Kawasaki Stadium, so they basically stole the idea from Onita that they run Kawasaki Stadium. It's interesting. You don't run Tokyo Dome. It's a Kawasaki Stadium, that the outdoor baseball stadium, like much like Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and. Uh, the match, the show starts when it's light out, you know, during the afternoon. That uh, when Onita comes in, it's so dark out; that it's at night, you know. And, and uh, you felt like you were there all day.
1: It was a different experience than any of the,
0: I guess, the big two at the time. Yeah, yeah, I think it's like a hypothesis and almost, you know, like a wild one. But uh, if Bruce Brody was around, he would probably join uh either FMW or IWA Japan. You think so? Yeah, I think so.
1: Terry Gordon was a part
0: of it. Yeah, right. Like after Jan Baba start using him. Right. Mm. And uh after in after Bruce Brody put Jumbo to the over clean one two three that he left. Then he got murdered. But uh the, even Brody, you know, the day the day will come that uh, he wouldn't be working for All Japan any longer, and that uh, he Brody always had his own dream of you know opening up wrestling company in Japan. Hmm. Yeah, someday, you know, and he told me about that. Wow. And instead, his friend Victor Quinones, who was part of FMW, but uh, he you know he walked out of you know Onita's FMW and got uh, got got together with local pro- here in japan that he studied iwa japan because he had iwa puerto rico you know mm-hmm. and uh, all kinds of puerto rican you know like miguel press jr the uh, hurricane costello jr the all, all kinds of puerto rican talent came start coming to japan and trained japanese wrestlers here in japan and terry funk was a big part of iwa and if he wasn't you know terry funk in the death match tournament the cactus jack wouldn't be a big huge superstar in japan before he was superstar with WWF, and yeah.
1: it was really with Terry Funk
0: that he had his I a think so. big famous. Oh, the, 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 the death match match tournament final, the yeah. summer of 1984, was yeah, Terry Funk against Cactus Jack. And people thought Terry Funk will, will win the Deathmatch tournament, instead, Cactus Jack won the tournament, beating Terry Funk, the star was born. Isn't that interesting? You know,
1: we actually did. We skipped over one little part of Funk's career in the late '80s, early '90s, right? But around the time of FMW. Oh, the WCW. WCW. Right. Yeah, with Ric Flair. Ric Flair, right?
0: Right. Uh, that yeah, was a. It was around, the same, like, it was around the same time.
1: It was around the That was '89. Like just just right. before FMW launched, and he went over there. Yeah, and, and he was doing was a kind when... of hardcore thing.
0: With you I know, think the... that that uh, WCW run in the program against Ric Flair was when Terry Funk made comeback because for about four year period he was making movies in America that's right Roadhouse like Road, Roadhouse yeah yeah and all that yeah he tried to be an actor you know a little bit he was also mm-hmm. doing in you know, local commercials you know like uh, uh, the, the car dealer commercial the beer you know, course commercial uh yeah he was in quite a few TV commercials. Like didn't, uh, didn't he work with Sylvester Stallone on a movie? Uh, the, the Paradise Alley. Okay, between so one two of the Rockies. movies. Yeah, but that was like a 78. Oh, okay. Okay, that was yeah, earlier yeah. on. Yeah, but he did, have conne- he did have connection with Sylvester Stallone. And uh, it was Terry who introduced... It, seriously, it was Terry Funk who introduced young Hulk Hogan to Sylvester Stallone. To be mm-hmm. part of Rocky Three.
1: Wow! Yeah, the only time so, they really <laughs> the the biggest moment of their careers when they crossed paths was outside the ring, in Hollywood. Well, well, well,
0: the, the, between the, Terry was... Funk and Hulk Hogan. Oh, Terry Funk and Hulk Hogan were friends yeah. for a long, yeah. long time.
1: Yeah, uh, they were uh, on top in Japan at around the same time, just at you know opposite companies.
0: And then, then uh, actually. Uh, Hulk Hogan promised that he would come to Old Japan for you. Yeah, you know, that was uh, in the middle of this, in you know, Old Japan and in New Japan stealing each other's talent. Uh, New Japan stole Abdullah the Butcher from Baba, and, and then Giant Baba stole Tiger Jit Singh from him, and they switched. Both Tiger Jit Singh and Abdullah the Butcher switched side. It was a big deal. Then people like Dick Murdoch, the, the Chavo Guerrero Sr., the, uh, the, quite a few. Oh, taiga Toguchi, the Kim, Do- Kim Dock. A lot of guys jumped. Mm. Or, you know, jumped fence. And it, Terry Funk asked young Terry, oh, Hulk Hogan, Another theory, Hulk Hogan, why don't you come to All Japan and join us, right? And he was going to be a big surprise appearance for 10-year anniversary All Japan show in 1982, I believe. Yeah, because both companies started 1972, so the 10-year anniversary show should have been in then. End of 82, Hulk Hogan told, not on piece of paper or contract or anything like that, but he told Terry Funk that, okay, I'll come to New, you know, all japan for you right and they had a big uh africa you know like a south africa tour if you remember cape town and this this was all japan no the, the uh, south africa oh there was a there was just a, a tour
1: of wrestlers in south africa
0: yeah terry funk against hulk hogan
1: ah uh, okay that's where they had to... Was it their first matches together or because I know they did have, yeah, one... I think
0: so, yeah, against each other, the big, huge main event. And Hulk Hogan actually beat Terry Funk because they wanted the local promoter wanted to do it like a Rocky 3 movie, mm. and Terry Funk did not want that to come, the news come to pan Hulk Hogan beating Terry Funk in South Africa.
1: Mm. I think that,
0: I see. That, yeah, and then the video yeah. tape does not exist. Only result in newspaper clip. Okay. And I think Hulk Hogan beat Terry Funk in South Africa. But uh, neither of them wanted to get out, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, for a Japanese audience, you know. But uh, somewhat, somehow news got out. And, you know, New Japan Superstar Hulk Hogan beat Old Japan Superstar Terry Funk in South Africa. The news came. And Terry Funk got so mad that he brought the photographers and reporters from his hotel and, and went to Hulk Hogan's hotel, you know, to confront, <laughs> it was a big deal. But how they, you know, the solution was, New Japan signed exclusive contract, a new contract with Hulk Hogan and Hulk Hogan turned babyface with Inoki and stayed with New Japan, yeah. Then 1983, uh, the inaugural first uh, IWGP tournament. Hulk Hogan beats Antonio Inoki to become very first uh, IWGP tournament winner. Before it was World Heavyweight Championship, like tonight, today's, you know, title title to be defended. Mm-hmm. The IWGP for the five-year period, 83, 84, 85, 86, 87, for five-year period, it was not a championship uh, belt to be defended, but it was spring tournament, IWGP tournament first IWGP tournament in 1983 how Kogan beat Antonio Inoki that was a rec- that's a record but there was a, you know, that the thing that didn't happen that the Terry Funk was going to bring How Kogan into all Japan interesting huh very interesting to see what could have happened yeah those are all what ifs you know but that you know, by staying with Inoki's New Japan progressing, how Kogan chose to become an even bigger star that's you know, right. and rest, yeah, and then, you know the rest of the story, kind of thing. Mm. Yeah, so there's a yeah connection, you know, between Terry Funk and Hulk Hogan too, and in Hulk Hogan's autobiography. There are more than one, right? The, the one of one of the uh, Hulk Hogan's book. It's been written that the Hulk Hogan, like 1977 version of young Hulk Hogan, almost quit, you know, because he wasn't making any money and he wasn't making it big. That uh, it was before initial run with WWE, you know. And it, it, there's there was a one run with Hulk Hogan with WWF, Vince McMahon senior, Vincent James McMahon gave Terry bolaire Hulk Hogan name. But before that, uh, Hulk Hogan, before he was Hulk Hogan, he was like a uh, the Terry Boulder, or some that he almost quit, and Terry Funk told him not to give it up, and uh, yeah, and uh, Terry Funk was like almost mentor to young. Hulk Hogan, Terry Bollea, I should say, and it, that portion of history is largely forgotten or being so overlooked. Is that yeah.
1: interesting? Yeah, I mean Terry Funk was sort of, kind of, sort of out of the picture because he was technically retired around that time. Yeah, so yeah, um but it was also around this time. A lot of hardcore fans know about this. Around this time, he, Terry Funk, recorded an album, a music album, in Japan. In Japan. It was kind of like uh, a cult classic these days.
0: Yeah, it was a music album, but it was like a broadcast, you know, like a, a almost like a radio like, progressing broadcast was on on the record too. Uh, And him him talking in the record. Not all music video though. I mean, music record though.
1: I I mention it to uh, add to how big. Terry Funk was over in Japan that the fact that yeah, he was...
0: only wrestlers who cut music you know like LP records today's fans don't know what the LP records are <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's a big thing it's a record, there's a turntable and you put a needle on and you listen to it, Like it's a vinyl At the, the only wrestler who cut album in Japan was Dick Byer, Destroyer Terry Funk and a little bit later on um, Hulk Hogan, Hulk mm-hmm. Hogan did did have album in Japan too. Mm-hmm. 83 and he was playing bass. Yeah.
1: So, so that's
0: that tells you how big Terry Funk was and he Oh absolutely.
1: Yeah, even when yeah. he wasn't wrestling. And then he he did gradually come back and make it into the ring. He
0: had the more one more, you know, like a run. Yeah. Solid run.
1: A couple appearances in
0: WCW. Mm-hmm. And the made ECW, yeah, like uh, put ECW on the map. And little, even a little bit later on in the late 90s, the, with Cactus Jack, Mick Foley, Mankind, that uh, Terry Funk had his Chainsaw Charlie run a little That's bit. That's right. He had the, yeah. the late, the Attitude Era uh, appearance. Put the, put the pantyhose over his head, in you know, like mask. Yeah, and... Uh, had a flower... long underwear, like long john, yeah, underwear, and chainsaw. Chainsaw Charlie, chainsaw... At the Izakaya in Japan, I remember Terry Funk talking about, uh, what do you think about Chainsaw Charlie? What? Hmm. Chainsaw Charlie. It's like he already had the idea. I don't understand why he had to change. Well, Terry Funk they wouldn't be Terry, you know, the, the Vince McMahon wouldn't let you be Terry Funk, I don't think.
1: I mean, why wouldn't somebody let Terry Funk
0: be Terry Funk? I don't get it. I mean, I get it, but I, I also... Then again, in Terry Funk's mind, working WCW is something that, uh, it's not part of Terry Funk legacy. Mm-hmm. When you work WCW and WWE, you become one of the WWE monday night raw talent like a cast of your weekly drama Mm -hmm. yeah so terry funk did have run one run 1984 and 1985 run it was you know terry funk and Haas fan you know funk Haas funk that was dory yeah 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 like wrestlemania 2 wrestlemania 1 wrestlemania 2 that era they did work wwf yeah When they were running, what, 300 shows in, you know, A team, B team, C team, three -hmm. different cities. Yeah, and the Funks were part of that too, a little bit. Yeah, but I don't think, really, that, that, that Terry Funk and Vince McMahon saw eye to eye. I don't think. I mean, different generations,
1: really. The Terry Funk came up and 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 also evolved vince mcmahon didn't really time.
0: respect the funks the way he should it didn't
1: seem that way i mean he they were presented like um you know one of the guys yeah just opening match guys uh you know and that often uh, that was often the deal when
0: any ex-nwa stars would come in there would be yeah because wwf and vince mcmahon does not take care of the character that was developed elsewhere right it's yes. not WWE invention, you know what I'm saying? hmm Yeah. So not as traditional when it comes to, like, a legacy and a family name and uh, whatnot. Well, yeah, it's a see that though. I, I get it.
1: Yeah. It's, just, um, it's just one way of looking at things, I guess. But it was wrestlers
0: who respected Terry
1: Funk. Right. So it didn't really matter yeah. that much in the end. Right,
0: right. And also, Terry Funk made some cash. Sure. Yeah. And uh, yeah.
1: he he'd show up uh, a little after that in the late couple the last
0: couple of years of WCW. Yeah, it's cause he was able to make money. It was mm. the very end of you know WCW because they were making cra- you know, they are paying crazy money to all the wrestlers. Mm. Yeah. You know, the guys who are not on Monday Night Raw making like 750000 seven hundred and fifty thousand a year. <laughs> yeah. Crazy, crazy, yeah. But that he, that Terry Funk wasn't so crazy about Monday Night War or neither Vince McMahon's WWF or Ted Turner's WCW. You know, he was not interested in it. Hmm. Yeah. Um,
1: uh, by this time in the 90s, too, Do- uh, Dory Funk had the. Uh, when was it that he opened the Funkin' Conservatory, his wrestling school? late 90s officially, late 90s? yeah
0: yeah yeah officially had More a cool ring and tv WWE. studio and yeah yeah training talent and uh he had a like a tv studio like set up so he can have his own bang tv bang tv that's yeah, right yeah yeah so that was his like a little child i mean like his like like his little project i think not little but uh, his own project in ocala florida mhm yeah, he chose to do so. Yeah.
1: And there were also uh, he... stars that came out of that eventually. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Kurt Angle showed up there. and uh...
0: They were going to be a developmental, mm. ter- not a territory, but the wrestling school. Right. But it there were more early... than one wrestling school. Yeah. There was more than one wrestling school affiliated with WWE at the time, like, you know, Ohio Valley and whatnot. Yeah and the Georgia Championship wrestling and also had a wrestling school in Florida too not the Dory's school but the Steve Kahn's wrestling school in Tampa and uh, the the WWE WW knew that, that they had to develop new talent not buying existing talent you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. yeah but in the middle of the, all these changes in wrestling business Dory Funk was Dory Funk and Terry Funk was Terry Funk hmm. That's yeah. right. Yeah, and then he still lives in Amarillo, Texas, Terry Funk. Yep, still, still keeps lives. in touch with all the Japanese friends, though. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, got a group of, like, old, like over the years, you know, who made a lot of friends in Japan, non-wrestler friends, that became friends with Terry Funk, that he calls up Terry Funk once a week just to say hello. Mm. Yeah. He's still th- that well-respected. Oh, very much so, Yeah. And Terry Funk looks like Terry Funk, and also it's like a it's really good to see aged Terry Funk, you know, young Terry Funk, blonde hair Terry Funk was a superstar, the curly hair, you know, brown hair Terry Funk was good, that uh, the Funk's Funk Terry Funk was good, the hardcore Terry Funk was long, you know, like a goatee and long tides was good, Bandana. Like, yeah, and then aged Terry Funk, today's Funk with all gray hair and all that, still Terry Funk. And uh, yeah, we love him. Yeah, I'm still I'm still a big fan of Terry Funk. I, I don't am. know anybody who doesn't like Terry Funk. I
1: mean, uh, especially if you grew up with any of his phases of his career, if they were uh, active, he was active and he was a big
0: star when you were a fan. I mean, and I and there aren't that many wrestlers who were who were emulated as much. You know, a little right. bit of Terry Funk in a lot of wrestlers.
1: But he couldn't really be emulated completely. There's no um, Terry
0: Funk. June. Oh, no, not not that. But a uh, little bit of Terry Funk here and there. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, punch, emotion, sure. bumps. Yeah. The um, way he carries himself, I think. And yeah. also um,
1: the way he carries himself, or, or doing things that are unexpected at his yeah. age. He was always yeah. uh, willing to go over the top.
0: Yeah, I guess his adrenaline goes. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's also
1: his impact in Japanese culture. I mean, he was kind of a, a, based on a, a character in a comic oh, book. Oh, Terry Man? Terry Man. Oh, comic in, book, Terry in, Man? In, in and, Kinikuman.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's the, Terry Man is completely terrifying. And his action figure still comes out to this day.
1: Yeah, and and yeah. Again, we mentioned it last week, but there's also Men's Tao, Terry Boy, who was kind of like the the mini. Well, not version.
0: that big of a star, but the, yeah, yeah. But the, everybody wants to do the double arm suplex, you know. If you're, you know, uh, if you grew up watching seventies wrestling and eighties wrestling, spinning tall hold, yeah, and uh, the punch, yeah.
1: When you were growing up, did all the kids try to do the spinning toe hold on each other?
0: And double In arm p- suplex on the playground. In the playground? <laughs> yeah, of course. Well, the yeah. double arm suplex I
1: didn't expect on the playground. That's hardcore.
0: Oh, the, you know, like when you go to like a gym, you know, go to gym, gym, high school gym with gymnastics mat. Ah, uh, sure. Yeah, you, you do the suplex. And also the cowboy hat and cowboy boots and Wrangler jeans. You mm-hmm. bought it. You know, I bought a pair, of course. He's the guy who yeah. made it cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he was always. That's cool. probably why Stan Hansen is a part of the reason Stan Hansen's big is that that uh, he's like another big, huge cowboy. Yeah, mm-hmm. from Texas. Yeah, pretty similar. You know, different but similar. Yeah,
1: Terry was um, like, what's the word that I, I don't want to just say crazy? He's not crazy, but he was always um, willing to go where the other wrestlers wouldn't go.
0: Yeah, yeah, he was extreme in a lot of different ways. Uh, his and, personality and, and it was his way within his Terry Funk boundary, he evolved, you know. And always, he it took, always, adapted. yeah, and it's stayed pretty relevant, yeah,
1: yeah, without throughout, changing it throughout a long time. He, he's,
0: I mean, think of the the important generations he was a part of since the 70s, yeah. 70s, 80s, 90s, and you know, 21st centuries, so And now it's 2022. Yeah.
1: Even a couple of years ago, I heard he was in some match with Jerry Lawler and they were blowing fire at each other.
0: <laughs> Do you remember that? Texas, that is a Tennessee program that also, have, it's like an almost spinoff of Terry Funk Legacy. Yes, he had program against Jerry Lawler since 70s. Whenever he traveled to Tennessee, he had the program against Jerry Lawler. That made Jerry Lawler a big star, too. You know, I mean, it helped Jerry Lawler in a certain way.
1: That's right. The, and there's also, you got to mention the uh, empty arena match.
0: Oh, yeah. The idea fight. of empty arena. Yeah. And you and nobody's there, but you videotape it, right? hmm. And do the craziest thing. Oh, they came up with a lot of ideas. Uh, I mean, fighting that's definitely. On Stan, fighting oh, yeah. in concessions, concessions, who is hot dog and ketchups and all that. hmm. Yeah. So, I think, yeah, he the Terry Funk influenced Jerry, King, Jerry the King a lot, too. And the Tennessee style itself.
1: Yeah, he had a, he left an impact wherever he was able to stay
0: and, and be on television for. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I hope that uh, well, the people, you know, the younger listeners out there and get the idea of what Terry Funk is today. or the funks, of course. You know, older brother Terry, uh, Dory Funk, Dory Funk Jr. And younger brother Terry Funk. And and, uh, two brothers that uh, look, I mean, (laughs) the ones young. uh, Dory Funk was almost bald when he was uh, in in the 30s. And uh, Terry Funk was was the one with a lot of hair, you know. They look pretty different, but you could tell this is like older brother. So always like older brother and younger brother would shoot and would do younger brother would do, you know? Yeah. Um... Funk's huge, huge influence in Japanese wrestling culture.
1: It's almost, you know, I feel like we hit a lot of topics, and I feel like, did we get everything? Because, I mean, there are.
0: Oh, no, no, that's impossible. That I is think, impossible. You know, the... we threw, yeah, Terry, uh, the Terry Funk and Hulk Hogan in it, Terry Funk and Ric Flair in it, Terry Funk and ECW in it, and Terry Funk and IWA Japan in it, Terry Funk and WWF in it, Terry Funk and Vince McMahon in it a little bit.
1: <laughs> and you know what? On each of those topics, we could probably do a separate episode on each of those.
0: and then the whole episode of it, yeah.
1: Um, yeah, uh, Terry Funk is unique and he's, he's still kicking. And yeah, it's amazing. So, if we left anything out, or if you have questions or anything, reach out to us. So, if you wanted to reach out to us, Fumi, how can we reach out to you?
0: On Twitter at Fumihiko Dayo, Fumihikodayo, F U M I H I K O D A Y O, Fumihikodayo, or just Fumisaito on Facebook. Please message me first.
1: On Twitter, I'm at Justin M. Nipper, K-N-I-P-P-E-R. That's it. That's the history of the NWA in Japan and the funk family in Japan. So if you have questions, let us know. We'll be back next time. So until then, Fumi, please take it away.
0: So long from Tokyo.